exists to exalt. So we started this about, about six or seven weeks ago, uh, and the, the elders and I uh, got together and really talked about this idea of what it meant to exalt God, to lift him up, uh, and that everything that we do, our total existence on this earth is to give him glory, to exalt his holy name. And that word means to lift him up. So I just kind of want to take a moment and, and recap. As you see behind me, X2X, and that's just to, to mark our mind of exists to exalt, and that we truly understand who God is, who we are in relationship to him, and what he's called us to. And so when we, we spent the first portion, and I'm thankful for Gary, and Gary is uh, away in Kuwait, keep him in your prayers. He reminded us of who God is, and he talked about the Lord, our Jehovah, you know, and that meaning precious Lord. And we saw the different characteristics of God is our peace. He's the Lord of our peace. He's our hope. He's our joy. He's God Almighty. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. And guess what? He was thinking about you and I. And then we saw that our relationship, Paul came up and gave us a great visual of who are we in relationship to God. And that is his desires that we would always be in relationship with him and we would be receiving from him. And we know that as we look back in the book of Genesis that there was a time of man walking away from God, disobeying God and being separated from him. And his desire was to draw us back. And so we started talking about why do we exalt the Lord, because he always had us on his mind. He never forgot about us. His desire was to draw us back into relationship with him. And then, as Jeremiah said, to give us a hope and a future going forward. And so we can exalt him and lift him up for those very points. And then last week, we started talking about how do we exalt the Lord. And we heard Jonathan come up and share and gave us a reflection of Moses and how Moses had a desire to be in the very presence of God. And that that desire caused an overwhelming flood of God's grace and mercy to become upon Moses. And just, it's just as Moses had that desire, we should have that desire. We should have that desire to be in his very presence, to sit at his feet. As we see that in Psalms 99 verse 5, that we worship the Lord, we exalt him, and that we worship at his footstool that we're willing to just sit and worship the Lord and be in presence with him. And then so now as we continue to talk about how do we exalt the Lord, I just want to spend some time and share a reflection with you that we're going to see in the book of John. When we think about this, have you ever been there where you thought, well, how? How do I do this? I'm wondering, you know, how to go about it because I remember what what Paul said, he said, the things that I want to do, I do not. And the things that I don't want to do, it seems like that's what I do. Then he went on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And so that how can be very challenging for us, but I believe that God has an answer. He's not the God of confusion. He's the God of truth and hope, and he wants us to know truth so that we will be made free in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John, the fourth chapter. John, the fourth chapter in our scripture reference today will be the 23rd and the 24th verse of the book of John. And we know that John was a disciple of Jesus Christ and that he was loved of, of God. And John was a physician, and they call him the one that just dearly loved Jesus because we see a lot of the love scriptures in the book of John. And so in John, the fourth chapter, the 23rd and the 24th verse, and I know my guy's going to get it up on the screen so we can see it there in the New King James Version. 
Here's what it says. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts in a mighty way, that we would hear from you, we would hear your engrafted word that's able to save, deliver, and set free. Lord, speak truth to us this day, that we may hear from you and be transformed. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray, amen. And so as we take a moment to just kind of reflect on that scripture, he says some key words there. And we see it in the last portion. He says, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so I'm going to spend quite a bit of time talking about that very point today. And so before we kind of dig into what that really means, I want to give us a backdrop of what we're seeing in this chapter. And so as we move a little bit back in the book of John, uh, many of us have heard or read the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And so this story kind of is the backdrop of that Samaritan woman. And as we begin in the, in the book of John, around the second or third verse, we know that Jesus had been ministering in Judea around Jerusalem. And uh, there was a little bit of controversy that was starting. And so he decided that he was going to continue and move uh, to the area of Galilee. And so he was going to travel from Judea around Jerusalem to Galilee. And the distance was about 100 to 120 miles between the two when it comes to a straight line distance. But there was a challenge and there was a problem because in the middle of Judea and Galilee was an area called Samaria. And so just give you an example of this, for about 100 years, there had been some unrest around this area of Samaria. Because when the Babylon nation had came in, they had been overtaken the Israelites. And in this particular area, they had taken many of them into captivity because God had said you would go into captivity because of your sin and because of your disobedience. And so the Babylon people just didn't take anybody. They took the well-to-do. They took the rich. They took those that were established. And they left what was considered the lower class in this region. And so the others were in slavery. And then what came in was people that were not Jew, that were outsiders, and they started marrying these Jews that was in the area of Samaria. And so they became kind of what the Jews would call them as half-breeds and not really Jewish. And so there became a great disdain for these people that were in Samaria. They didn't see them as true Jews. They didn't see them as having uh, been truly God's chosen people. We use that word a lot, right? And so there was a, there was a, a, a pushing away of them, even though they were Jewish. And so, so much so that the people from Jerusalem, when they would travel to Galilee, they would go around Samaria. And it would take twice as long for them to get around Samaria. And, they, and many were willing to take that longer journey just so that they wouldn't come in contact with Samaritans. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But Jesus said, let's go to Galilee. And he took a straight line approach straight through Samaria, him and his disciples. And then he came to a point in the fork of the road that this was right before Samaria, and this was at the very point where we see in what was called Jacob's well. This is the point, at the point where 
God spoke to Abram and told him that he would make him a father of many nations, that he would cause a royal priesthood to come through his lineage. This was the same place after Jacob had ran away and God had restored him and restored him back in right relationship with his brother that God gave him the opportunity to buy this very land. This is the same land. You remember Jacob had 12 sons and there was some unrest between the two. And because they were jealous of Joseph, they sold Joseph into slavery. And Joseph trusted God and he was willing to forgive his brothers. And he ended up being used of God to save his people. And so after Joseph had died in Egypt, they brought him back to this very place and buried him near Jacob's well. And so there's great significance in this particular land. And so let me tell you a little bit more about the story. Uh, It was to a point of hate, so much hatred for the Sumerians that there was a portion in Scripture that the the Jews actually said it would be better if they didn't partake in the coming of the Messiah. In other words, that they would be annihilated, that they wouldn't be able to receive of God's salvation. That's how much disdain they had for them. And so much so as if they did encounter a Samaritan, rabbis and, and, and leaders of the Jews wouldn't even speak to them. And definitely not a woman. They would not speak to a, lump, a woman. It was, it was beneath them to speak to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. So much so that they had Pharisees that were called the bruised of the Pharisees. And what the bruised of the Pharisees mean is they wouldn't even look at them. So if, they, if, if, if a Samaritan woman was coming, they would close their eyes and they would literally walk into a wall. The bruised of the Pharisees. And so they wore their rightness like it was a cloak of righteousness. And so they took the truth that God had given it and they started perverting it and making it legalistic and making it hard for anyone to receive. And so we see this being the backdrop of this very point. When Jesus now got to this point in the sixth hour about noonday, and we know how hot it can be here around noon, right? Now, imagine this area around Palestine where it gets up to about 120 to 130 degrees. And now at midday, he stops at this very point and he sits and rests because he's tired. And he sees this woman walk up. And the Bible says in John, the fourth chapter, verse six, and now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. And let me tell you a little bit about this a little bit more. See, most of the women used to come early in the morning, around six in the morning, when it was still a cool of the day. But see, this lady would come. She came about midday. See, that was a reputation that this lady had. She had been married several times, even within her own community, she wasn't really respected. And so she didn't come around the time when most women would come, but she came in the hot of the day when nobody would be around to just draw her water. And now here's Jesus, the rabbi Jesus, the Messiah Jesus, and he says to her, give me to drink. He speaks to this Samaritan woman, and it just astounds her. It's clear that this guy is a Jew. It's clear that he's devout, he's, he's in some way, and he speaks 
to me. And so we see in the scriptures, in her astonishment, in verse 9, the woman saith to, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, actest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You see, Jesus is trying to remind us of something, that God is no respective person, and that he loves each and every one of us, and that he wants to meet us at the very point of our need. And so when we start answering this question, how do we exalt the Lord? How do we worship him in spirit and in truth? And we need to spend some time just really examining that. See, there are some more things that we need to understand about Jesus. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. See, he who gives rest for our soul is weary. He sits on the well. He who is the Messiah of Israel speaks to a Samaritan woman when it's unconscionable to speak to someone like her. And he who is living water acts for a drink. See, he was willing to step down and meet her right where he was. He was willing in his humanity to not project his power, but be vulnerable to meet her at her very need. See, he saw her need more important than who he was and who, what he was able to do. Think about it. God Almighty, righteous in every way, holy, and he stepped down into broken flesh, made himself to be weary, made himself to be subject to every trial and temptation as we are, made of himself no reputation, didn't lift him own self up. He lifted God up at every opportunity that he could, but he made of himself no reputation. He was willing to step away from that and meet her where she needed. See, I believe God is telling us the same thing. We've been given so much. We've been grafted into the beloved of Jesus Christ. We've been made holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. At the moment we accept him as Lord and Savior, we move from death unto life. But that's not for us to give others a Heisman with. So often in the church, see, the Bible tells us, be ye in the world, but not of the world. And we misunderstand that. And we do this, and we push people away if we're not careful. Instead of doing like Jesus did, came down and met him and loved on him till it hurt. He was willing to be inconvenienced for the life and the soul of someone else. And see, he's calling us for that very purpose, to be willing to walk in spirit and in truth. Not in our truth, not in our spirit, but his and his alone. So let me explain what he's, what he's sharing with us here. See, when we hear that word spirit in the verses that was read earlier, but the hour is coming in verse 23, and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So there's some understanding that we need to have about that word spirit. The first part of that word spirit means a regenerated spirit, that we've been made alive, that we're no longer operating in death. We're no longer operating in a dead spirit, but our spirit has come alive in Jesus Christ. Here's what John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus said this, he said, think it not strange when I say unto you, but you must be born again. And so we get that regenerated spirit at that moment we believe and we accept Christ, his finished work. That also that spirit that he's talking about there is the Holy Spirit that comes to meet us at the very point 
of our need. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. See, He wants to bring us liberty. He wants to remind us that the Spirit that He's placed in us is a regenerated Spirit, a Spirit that's come alive, and that we can walk in newness of life, and that sets the captives free. It doesn't put us in bondage. See, the, 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 the Pharisees were in bondage, and they were putting everybody else in bondage with all of their laws, with all of their legalism. And that was never what God intended. He gave the word. He gave his truth so that we would be free because he knew obedience to him meant freedom to us. And disobedience to him meant bondage for us. And so he reminds us that there is liberty in the spirit. In Deuteronomy 4.29, it says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So he's also reminding us that this is a heart condition, that he wants to change our heart, that we would seek him, like Jonathan reminded us, that we would desire to be in his presence, that our spirit wouldn't just be a, a spirit that sits dormant, but it would yearn and earn for the things of God, that we would desire to be in his presence with our whole heart. See, this scripture provides the true essence of what it means to worship God with our soul, with our mind, will, and emotions, with our every being, pressing us to give him all of ourselves and holding nothing back. See, to worship in spirit means you are concerned with spiritual priorities. And so often, if we're not careful, we can be concerned with so many natural priorities. And we'll miss the spiritual priorities. But to worship him in truth, Jesus says the truth part is plain enough. With, coming, with the coming of Jesus, that truth centers on his person and work. We look at the truth of the word of God, and it centers on the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, why God sent him, and his very work to redeem mankind. The one who is truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth begins with Jesus Christ. It always has. From the foundations of the world, it's always been Jesus. He reminds us that he's the way, that he's the truth, that we can stand on his promises. We can stand on his example. We can stand on the word of God. See, the Samaritans worshiped with only part of the truth. The, Jesus, the Jews had the truth, but they didn't have the spirit that came with it. They didn't understand the intent that God was giving through his word. But Samaritans, they would only take the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and they would reject all the rest of the Old Testament. And so they only had a portion of the truth. And so they moved into superstitions. They moved into idol worship, all these other things, because they only had a portion. They would only receive a portion. There's been some things in this word. There's been some truths that's come across that was hard for me to receive. You ever been there? And, then, and if I'm being honest, there were times that I rejected it until God kept speaking to my heart and reminding me. Remember that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we're not careful, we can be so far on one side that we'll miss God's perfect plan. We can be so far on the excitement and the spirit that's moving in, uh, in us, and we can see in the scriptures where it talks about the spiritual gifts and all that God has for us. And, and, and we can even make comments like, well, I don't feel the same way. 
Because I don't, when I got saved, there was, a, there was a spiritual hide that I had. Anybody remember that? And it's like I wanted to be in all of those areas or those, those sittings that would bring back that spiritual high. I would listen to music that would ignite that. I would go to concerts. Anybody remember Carmen? Or maybe I'm dating myself. And Carmen had a way that he would get you pumped up. He would talk about thrashing the devil, killing him with a sword. And I'd be like, yeah. And I would love that spiritual high and that connection that I would feel and how I could feel God's presence all around me. But I wasn't rooted and grounded in the truth of the word. And so I would have those times of great highs, but also great lows. And I wouldn't study. And as David said, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so the devil was just plucking me so easily. Then I got connected with some, and I'm going to just say it, some strong Baptists. And they started pouring truth in me. And they, was like, they, were, they were trying to pull me from the other side. And they were saying, this is what you need. You need truth, and you need truth. And I fell in love with the truth of God's word. And it was doing something to me. It was rooting and grounding me in him and reminding me whose I am, who I am, and the purpose and plan that he has for each and every one of us. But I saw something in, 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 in that truth. It didn't seem like it, it ignited us to do anything. And so I was in a couple of churches that they were the, they, they were the Baptist pew sitters. And we would raise up a little bit and we would do the one finger. Y'all remember what I told y'all? How the one finger of righteousness, whenever you move and you would walk out. That's about exciting as it got. Was that one finger? I was like, oh, man, they, they got the Holy Spirit then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we weren't doing anything. We weren't stepping out on the promises of God. We weren't allowing him to use us to transform the world around us. We had all this truth, and it was like we were sitting on it. And I, it just hurt inside because truth is wonderful, but if we don't do anything with it, what good is it? See, to worship in truth means you worship according to the whole counsel of God's word. And this whole counsel challenges us. To live a life pleasing in his sight, but also to reach the whole world for Jesus that lives in us, the hope of glory. See, John 1, 18 says this word, very word of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits. And then there's fruit and fruit and fruit after. That we don't let it just stop with us. That the joy we have and the hope that we have in him, that we would be willing to share it with somebody. This truth that anchors and saturates our worship is truly intended for us to be like Christ. To be willing to go to those that everybody else has said, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. They're too far gone. See, this truth unites people. It causes the wars and the raging to stop. The division that's in our country to cease when we stand on these promises. See, in our world of relativity and questioning what is truth with all this fake news that's going on, we believe and we respond from the Lord that he is the way, the truth, and the life. See, John challenges us in this very scripture to be true worshipers, not half-heartedly serving the Lord, and not living and operating off of half-truth, but the wholeheartedness and the whole truth. 
in spirit and in truth. If we are not careful and diligent, we can tend to lean to one side or the other. See, I remember after I had just been told, see, the military is a very prideful, can be a very prideful organization. And everything is centered around making the next promotion, achieving. And I remember as being a young captain and my battalion commander bringing me in and saying to me, I'm not going to give you a command. I don't think you're good enough. And I remember sitting and weeping and feeling like the Spirit of God had just been ripped out of me. And remember myself saying, God, I trust you. I trust your truth, but I can't feel it. And my soul is grieving. And I remember having truth inside of me. Because I, I, I wasn't strong enough to reach for my Bible at that point. I was grieving. But I remember him saying, your value is in me. In me, you move and breathe and have your being. I'm the one that opens and closes doors. I'm the one that sits you on a high mountain and sustains you in the valley. Who are you going to trust in? And that word, that truth did something to my spirit. It caused me to rise up. It caused me to be stirred up and to give him praise and exalt his day. No matter what the day, no matter what the walk, but just to trust him. Before I knew it, all by myself, me and the Lord. See, the spirit and truth was operating together. And he reminded me to just purpose myself in him. That same commander, Several months back came and said, here's the command that I want you to command. That same commander was standing at the point when I was leaving and saying how great this person has served as a commander. And all I could think when she's talking, he's great. Not me, but him. And so as we see God walking through these very scriptures and reminding us of what true worship is all about. To look what Jesus said in John, the fourth chapter, the 22nd verse, it says, You worship, ye know not. We worship what we know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So he was reminding the Samaritan woman that, yeah, it doesn't, may not look like the way we think it should look, but it's going to come from God's divine plan. Even the ones that we may not really like, God's going to bring salvation out of this about all the turmoil, out of all the trials. And then he spoke those very words to her again. But the hour is coming, now he is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not on a mountain, not in a certain building, not with certain practices and rituals. Because it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And so he was telling her, don't get caught up in what they're doing and what you're doing when it comes to this mountain and, and where you have your temple. But just keep your eyes and your heart turned towards God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, David Mathis of Desiring God said this, True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and love deep and sound doctrine. It's both. So it should be a meditation of our heart. With all the trials and the tribulations that we go through, that we express a heart of thanksgiving and joyfulness of all that God has done and what he's doing. So yes, we operate in spirit and truth, 
But we also remind us ourselves of this very point, that God wants us to have joy and that he wants us to be thankful, that we steady ourselves. Because those two points of having joy, because we remember who he is, and having thankfulness because we remember all the things that he's done for us to bring us to this very point. Because I don't know about you, if it wasn't for God in my life, where would I be? He's seen me through where I can be thankful. Here's what the scriptures tell us. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 18, rejoice always. That's a scripture verse, just those two words. Teens, y'all learned one today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Another scripture verse, pray without ceasing. Three words, verse 17. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is going to steady us in both of those areas, in spirit and in truth, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Psalms 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know what that word glad means? It means to exalt and rejoice greatly. Exalt, lift him up, and rejoice greatly. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. He's seen you to this very point. If God's hand was to be removed from us, we would see sure destruction. So we can rejoice and be glad. Because we serve a God that will never leave us nor forsake us. We serve a God that loves us with an undying love. And we can exalt his name and rejoice gladly for all he has done and will do. And we get to do that with the spirit of life that lives in us and the truth of this word. And it don't get no better than that. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy.